And so we'll get started on the word. Um, Just uh, wanting to talk some about our level of trust in God. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust God? And um, I think sometimes we... We trust him with different things. You know, our lives are sometimes uh, fragmented, (laughs) compartmentalized. Uh, We tend to want to order things a certain way in our lives. And uh, what, what we don't understand is the fullness, I think, of the covenant that we have with God. We have a covenant that really covers more than every area of life that we can think of, doesn't it? It says he does exceeding abundantly more than we can ask or think uh, because we don't have the master plan for our lives. We have parts of it, you know, and that's good. God will share as much of it with us as he feels he can according to what he's called us to do and what he has for us to accomplish from time to time. But we don't have the master plan, nor do we have uh, authority over our lives fully. Uh, It is delegated to us in so many ways from God. The authority that we have on our own tends to get us in trouble. We know that. That's why we came to the Lord. And so when we come to God, we have to, there's an implied total trust in his covenant. It's it's implied that we trust him totally. The concept of a covenant is that one person would lay down his life for behalf of the other person, but that other person also lays down their lives for that individual. Uh, there's so much in the Bible that indicates that God has called us to serve him. No man can serve two masters. We are servants here on this earth and servants one of another. And I think that that the the there's a scripture that people kind of take it the wrong way because the way it's worded and the way uh, uh, English speaking people kind of tend to to look at it. The one that says we're no longer servants but friends. It doesn't mean you're not a servant. The concept of servant, of friendship, is servanthood. Don't get it twisted now. See, I know people think that, people think sometimes when you take away some concepts from the Bible, it elevates you. That's wrong thinking. See, that's carnal thinking. It's not to elevate you above God or elevate you to where you don't have to serve anymore. Are you kidding me? The servant, if if I'm in a covenant with you and we lay down everything we own for the common good, that implies we serve one another. I don't know where that, that idea comes from. I think it's the way it's translated. It it comes across in modern language goofy. But in the, the day that it was written, people automatically knew what that meant. That meant that you weren't merely a servant, but now you had a friend relationship where you could count on the master to provide certain things as well as you providing your service to that master. So it's a shared life. It's when Jesus Christ comes into us, he shares our life. We share a life with him. He serves us. We serve him. It's a it's a shared thing. In a marriage, it's a different, another kind of covenant. There's service both ways there. You won't get married to somebody and just be a taker and they give all the time. It won't last. People get exhausted with one another. 
And so there is the there's always the element of servanthood there. And I say that because this parable really uh, validates how important it is for us to have our concept and our relationship with God correct. So in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 25 is where we find one account of this a parable. There's another one in Luke chapter 19. Uh, I won't read that one, but I will tell you the implications of one in Matthew 19. It gives a little more detail about what this servant, uh, uh, the master leaving the servants in charge of his possessions and his wealth and, and everything that he values, what that means. And so in, in the one in Luke chapter 19, it's a clear parable about Jesus uh, going away and leaving the church in charge of the wealth of the earth. We are the wealth of the earth. And he will come back one day to judge to see how we used what he gave us. Did we serve him with what he left us with because those possessions belong to him. They do not belong to us. Even though we have total stewardship over them, we're total responsible for them, we still do not, quote unquote, own them apart from God. So uh, back to Matthew chapter uh, 25, the, the, the issue here in, in this understanding of how his kingdom works, that's what he's talking about here. So the kingdom of heaven, starting in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's similar to this. It's a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So in this aspect, in this parable, the concept of servanthood versus master, who's in charge, who calls the shots, who obeys, how they obey, is me being made clear to the reader here. Uh, we need to know that in order for us to serve someone, it's very important for us to trust. Trust of the, the master is, in, is extremely important. It's got to be there. Trust comes not out of a bunch of memorized rules and regulations, but trust comes through relationship. You know, the typical trust thing is that a person would um, uh, get an understanding of being able to trust someone based on whether or not their experiences with that person validate and line up with what that person says they're going to do. So there has to be uh, a set of rules, a promise of a relationship, and a fulfillment of those promises based on interaction and experience with that individual. Many times we find that people will make prejudgments on one another and that their level of trust or their relationship is not based solely on relationship with that individual based on what they tell you they're going to do. But we have preconceived ideas that we project onto other individuals based on our experience in other situations. Now think about it, what I just said. We have prejudged a person who comes new into our lives based on our perception of similar relationships that we've had in the past with others, not with what we have with them. 
the issue in this is who does God say he is? Do you believe it? Who do you embrace God to be to you? And do you have experiences with him that validate that? So trust really has to do with looking at a relationship as brand new, taking that person at their word in this relationship, getting involved in relationship with that person to see if they bear out what they say they're going to be to you. So in order to do that, God had, and in, 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 in to do that effectively for us, God had to make us new creatures. He couldn't take the fragmented mess we were that had bad relationships with everybody down through the line. You know, some people, when they get on their little soap opera and, and, and start singing their sad song, everybody done done them wrong. You understand what I'm saying? And so God had to take the mess that we were, tear that down through repentance and show us that he would build us up as brand new creatures restore us and restore us into our first estate and relationship with him and this is sometimes where we we miss the whole concept of the new creation who we are how we function because we kind of tend to drag old bodies and old baggage with us into every situation we get into. We will base it on past experience instead of letting all the things become new in Christ. We can, we can sing those songs and quote those scriptures. But living it out gets to be a challenge for us because sometimes we're so stuck in the mentality of where we, we've come from that it's hard for us to break out into the new, allow our spirits to start to experience relationship with God and make it a new new trust thing. You know, we can trust God because I'm a new creature. I can trust God because he's given me, he's never been in my life before and now he's in my life and it's a whole new thing. It's not as difficult to do with God. To me, it's harder to do with people sometimes than it is to do with God. But we can drag that over into the relationship with God because it's so easy to fall back on our old mindset, our old way of thinking about things, our old way of doing things, rather than see all things fresh and new and break out into a new life. We said we wanted a new life when we came to Christ. And then we get in the new life and then we go back to the old crutches. Oh, I wasn't raised like that. Oh, I didn't have this growing up at all. Oh, I, you know what I'm saying. And so we'll get ourselves as an excuse for not stepping out in faith and confidence and trusting God. We'll start to sit back and think about what we used to be, how we used to do things as an excuse for not going forward in him. Am I reaching somebody? Now you all know that that's true because we, we tend to use uh, human weakness past experience instead of when repentance really means that you not only are sorry for your sins which you must be in order to be forgiven now let's not get this twisted either but you put on a new mindset not something you create as a new mindset but the mindset of Christ you pick up his values his laws his ways everything about him and that's repentance means you pick up his understanding of your bad behavior and you confess it to him and you get it wiped clean and then you can walk on into the newness of life when you're forgiven that stuff that you used to be gets to be ashes in your past and you continue walking forward in him in the newness 
Not the old, not the newness sometime in the old when you want to fall back into your bad habits. But newness, newness. Everything's new. Not a new you create, but a new he's created for you. Many times we want new and we borrow somebody else's new instead of having the new he created for you. And so we have to be careful to receive what God has for us. And if we're going to trust God and and get uh, what he wants out of this life and be successful and get your final well done good and faithful servant, which is what we should be working toward, we'll have to walk into the new that he has created for us as new. Not some new we get from other people. You know, Christianity is full of people that get weird new ideas and start spreading them on everybody. And the people who are looking for anything new will grab it and say, I got this and it's new. You understand? It's not your new. It's new somebody else gave you. And sometimes it's not even a good new. You know, it's the same catchphrase. It gets repeated over and over and over again like a broken record. You know, it, it goes. these things flow through the body of Christ all the time. You know, when I was just saved, deliverance was new. Everybody was a deliverance. So every new church that came was so and so, true deliverance, holiness deliverance. Uh, the church was having the now deliverance. You know, everything was deliverance. And so these little catchphrases kind of flow through God's people. It's all new age. You got me? It's all new age. Whoever has the loudest voice and the most time on television usually gets the catchphrase. And so we have to make sure the new that we're walking into is the new God created for us. There's a new he created for you. There's a new that fits with God's, what God has called you to do. And we've got to find that out. And I'm telling you, that's the only way you're going to ever develop trust in God, is to get into relationship with him, find out the new that he has for you, and walk in that new. you got to do it. I remember when we started this ministry, everybody thought we were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was thinking, I said, well, God, maybe it's the name. We should change it because people misunderstand. He never let me change it. In fact, he rebuked me sharply as though, you know, I think he made a mistake. You understand what I'm saying? So you must walk in the new that he has for you. And many times the new he has for you is very unpopular. If we're insecure about our popularity, we want to pick up everything that everybody else is doing and saying because we got to be accepted by somebody and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. And so Jesus was never on a popularity trip. Many times he told people, I healed you, don't tell anybody I did that. You understand me? And so these are things that we have to understand in trusting God. Do you really trust him? Can I walk in a new that he has for me even though it's unpopular? Can I walk in a new that he has for me even when I try to share it with people they rebuke me? Other Christians rebuke me and tell me I'm off on the wrong track. And when are you going to stop and get over there with the people who know what they're doing and all this kind of stuff. Can I walk in that new and trust God in what he has given me even though I may walk alone? Not bad to walk alone. You don't need to be, especially when the herd, as much as we know about the parables of God, narrow gate, few that find it, Broadway, lots of people on it. You get, you get, you, you get my drift, folks. And so trusting God really means embracing what he has for you. Got to get enough close to him, enough for yourself personally to know what he's doing for you.
Even married people. You're going to find places where you God's going to tell you to do something. The other person doesn't understand it, like it, or accept it. But God's challenging you to walk in the new anyway. And so we, we have to do these things, folks. If we really, really are going to trust God. To trust, the word trust really means a reliance, to rely. You know what rely means? It means a continual relationship. It's not rely one time. See, the, the, the word rely means to lay down continually or lay down perpetually or lay down permanently. When you rely on somebody, you lay down permanently your your self-reliance. You put them them out there and you tell them that that whatever they say is a go. Similar to the, you know, little kid, you know, it, uh, the first time a, a father teaches a child how to swim, you know, and they're scared of the water. They're scared of everything and Daddy, I can't do it. Daddy, daddy. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I'm here. I'll catch you. You know, praise God, most parents aren't deranged when they get in them situations. You know, they don't drop the kid, let them bounce into water or something stupid like that. They'll catch you. They're teaching you to trust daddy. And I think that's what God is doing with us in everything that we encounter is do we trust him? Can you trust his ways? Even when the outcome looks like it's not going to be favorable to you, it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be, maybe you don't get it all the first time or so forth and so on, but you must know that that trust grows out of continual relationship of relying on God. So to trust really means to rely upon another person or entity. This master that we're talking about in uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, he says, The kingdom of he- is heaven is a man traveling to a far country. A far country. And, uh, and the one in Luke, I told you, it's a, a direct analogy to Jesus when he ascended, leaving the kingdom management and business to the church down here, his disciples and his, his servants. A master entrusted his money to servants. Now these people were ordered to serve. That's their role. Their their role and their position is as servant. And the master is over them. So Jesus being the head of the church calls the shots. We can't do it. Nobody has that oversight. Nobody has that vision. Nobody has the total understanding of how to run things. I see where people over the ages where people kind of to me have gotten in trouble uh, is where they will assume leadership over other men and women of God who are also called to serve. You know, those positions are are very, very, uh, um, I guess you could say, as far as your accountability is concerned. If you're accountable over many, many pastors and leaders and churches, that's a very, very uh, uh, delicate position to be in because all of these people are anointed. All of these people have to account to God for what they do. And sometimes it's just not with one person to oversee all of that. You understand what I'm saying? You have to be very, very cautious that God wants you there, that it's necessary to keep people organized like that because everybody's called of God. 
And they're told by God what to do with their ministry, with their church, with their people, all this kind of stuff. And so trying to restrict or put rules and regulations on top of that calling can be a very, very difficult thing to do sometimes. And so you'll see sometimes people get into strife over uh, who's in charge and you're not telling me what to do. God told me to do that and didn't tell me to do that, that kind of thing. And so we have to be careful in assuming authority over other individuals especially if they're anointed by God to do the work that they're called to do. Just saying. And so when we when we think about that, though, God is the final judge. He is the master of all of us, and he has the right to call the shots. So, and, and, and uh, God really is, is trusting us, entrusting to us very, very wealthy things in the kingdom. When you have the influence that we have for the eternal fate of maybe like total strangers that would come around us, that's a very, very valuable thing that we carry within us. Christians need to understand that. And I think the more we value what God's given us, the more we will receive from God things that we we desire, the things that we uh, want in life. The more contentment we'll have and the more we'll be able to trust him. So first of all, the things that we he gives to us, we must realize are of high value. So in verse 15 it says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his individual ability and right away he left and so it talks about uh, it's a, a, an allusion to Jesus's uh, uh, telling the church to wait until they were endued with power from on high so he left us with his power which is highly valuable in the earth everybody wants power and influence in the dimension of the spirit world and we can see that very clearly now you see that from the people who are trying to go to psychics and the popularity of that and uh, printing daily horoscopes in the newspaper that wasn't done uh, that was forbidden for many many years in the 60s and 70s it became very very uh, uh, um, popular because of the advent of the new age coming in and people desiring to have more understanding and knowledge of the dimension of the spirit realm well if Jesus left the church with free access to that realm then what we have is highly valuable and and we shouldn't in any way try to diminish the value of anything that God has left for us everything that he's left for us is valuable uh, I was uh, uh, we were visiting when I first came to Detroit and we always had our meetings on Saturday and and uh, you know my husband wanted to you know he said oh well, I promised I'd go to church with you so he's going to lead us to a church we visited many churches while I was here and uh, one church we were at for a long time it was like the church to come to when I say long time compared to what we were doing it was like a year and uh, we went there and you know he dragged me to the new beginners class and you know people say well I, we, should we call you reverend what, what should we, we'll just call me Barb you know they weren't used to having ministers in there it was a class for beginners you know and uh, so uh, periodically my husband we oh, I shouldn't make you come and I know you just come for me and blah this and blah that and I'm thinking oh, let's get this over with you know what I'm saying 
<laughs> no, but you know, when I go, I'd, I'd, you know, expect to receive from from something from God, you know. And uh, so anyway, we we'd stay there for a little season until we were uh, in one of the Sunday services, and the minister said. Now we don't carry on with that. We, you know, we, you know, you, you have the gift of tongues, but you don't have to put it on display in the worship service. And uh, you know, if you get too loud, one of the ushers will come and uh, tell you to quiet down. And so from that, we didn't go anymore. He got me. Husband's husband said, I can't tell you. Now he didn't pray in tongues that much, but you know what I'm saying. He's Ain't like nobody bossing him around, you know. If I want praying thugs, I'm going to pray in thugs. Shooby dooby doo. You know, it's about as much as he had, but yeah, it was his right. He's standing on his rights to pray in the house of God, you know, that kind of thing. And <laughs> But I say that to say this. If you, if you value, and, and really the history of that church had been that the mother founded that church. And she founded it because she finally received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. She had sought that for many, many years. And uh, had gone through great lengths to receive that gift. And then, you know, after she dies and turns it over to the kids, and they tell people to shut up, not exercise a gift. And so what your parents fought for and gave their lives almost for can be very diminished in the next generation if we don't understand the value of the things that God has left for us. See, that, that tongue, that gift is from God. And it's never of low value, and it's never of minimal value. It's always of high value. And I think we need to be that way about everything that we possess. You, know, you need to think about yourself as a gift from God, your life as a gift from God, uh, the things that he's put in your life, your material possessions are a gift from God, and put a high value on them. You know, don't be the type of person that, you know, can, can easily get something and then toss it aside and start looking for something new and different and, and wonderful. Uh, because I think if you work with what you got, that'll be wonderful when it turns out the way God wants it to. And you'll see that in the in the end of the story. When we have uh, a, a right concept of God, then we'll be able to trust him. So trust comes from a right concept of God. This concept of him really determines the level of trust and confidence we have in him. All of our interactions around the things of God are designed to, to reveal to us who God really is. It's it's all designed to give us a, a revelation of who God really is. When we share testimonies with one another, uh, and I mean real testimonies. I don't mean you know just bragging about God did this for me and you know with that attitude, but a testimony that glorifies God, that points to Him as the author and the one who is doing everything. Uh, then we'll we'll be able to have a right concept of who He is, and then that will be shared by other people. See, I'm not going to have all the experiences you have, but if you've had experiences that you can share with me, that enhances my understanding of who God is. And, and it's amazing the timing of these things in our lives. God can look at your life and see uh, what's missing as far as your trust of him is concerned, and he'll provide just the right testimony and just the right 
answer at just the right time so that your faith in him doesn't slip back but it it increases and it's encouraged and it stays in a high place in God and so we have to trust him even on that level to bring to us the experiences that are necessary for that trust to to be able to be maintained and and accelerate because sometimes it's the next week when you're going to have to be able to trust him in a greater way for something in your life your own ability to change that thing will be your hands will be so tied and so strapped you'll be frustrated that you can't do anything and then you find that just releasing it to him will open up great doors of opportunity for you and that's what he's looking for he's looking for us to trust him and lean not to our own understanding ability strength anything like that Uh, so our concept of God really determines the level of trust and confidence we have in him that comes from the word of course you know reading the word looking at the stories in the Bible of how he's dealt with people throughout the ages that's important testimonies uh, for God doing it now in real time that's important as well and so uh, uh, you know those things are, are, are valid and valuable that truth that we have from God's word our con- self concept our concept of who we are plays an important role as well uh, He'll do it, and we can see, like the the man who came to him, say, uh, you know, uh, I know you're able, but are you willing? Willingness for him to move on our behalf has more to do with our our idea of who we are, more than his knowing who he is. You got me. You read all the stories you want to about God, but if you don't believe he'll do it for you. If you don't believe he's not a respecter of persons, if you don't believe that he won't skip over you and favor somebody else, see, this all comes from the old mindset. You know, because if you look at it, sometimes the same problems people have had all their lives they have when they get over into God's kingdom because they refuse to be new. They refuse to let the old die and to come forth and be new creatures. And so when when we do that, we kind of get to a place where we get stuck and we don't feel we can continue to move forward. We can't trust God anymore. And, and it's more our concept about ourselves that are hindering us rather than anything to do with God. Uh, many times we'll start blaming it on God's people. Church people get the, we have like the worst reputation sometimes among other one another because we can so freely criticize the church and criticize what they're doing criticize the leaders criticize oh yeah be doing this and the reason this isn't that way is because they need to do this and so and so they're the head of the church and, and God has such a different concept of who we are he has such a different concept of our progress you know as far as I'm concerned we're on schedule because God hasn't told us anything different. Do you understand me? We're all on schedule down here, folks. All we need to do is just continue doing what he told us to do. And if you're not doing it, get to doing it. And so we'll we'll always be on time for everything that God has for us to do down here in the earth. Our self-concept plays an important part in our trusting God. How do we see ourselves in relationship to God? Are we important to him? Are we? If we're not important to him, we'll try to make ourselves important to somebody else. That's the way I look at it. Because we make this mistake all the time. We tend to, instead of seeing ourselves through God's eyes, we tend to look at the closest thing to God, which is another human being. And we start seeing ourselves through that person's eyes. You know, That becomes very important to us. 
And so we, we have to stay focused that our concept of ourselves has to line up with God's word and it has to be validated through relationship with God. You can't just memorize that list who we are in Christ and go forward conquering. You got me? You got to know who you are in Christ and that's got to be confirmed through relationship. It's got to be validated through relationship. If you if if you say you you have a believer's ministry, if you're scared to lay hands on somebody, you don't have anything. You got me? If you're afraid to talk to somebody, you don't have anything. If you're afraid to pray for somebody, you don't have anything. You don't. It's validated and it's confirmed through what we do. Faith is more a doing than an inside thing. You know, sitting here believing. It's it's dead as long as it's just sitting here thinking about doing it. Once it gets out and start doing it, even though mistakes are made. See, that's what keeps everybody back. Fear. F-E-A-R. Fear. Scared of everybody. Scared of everything. Scared to move out. Scared to stay still. Scared to speak up. Scared. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Scared to pray. You need to pray for an unction. You need to pray for these things. You need to pray for God to open doors. You need to pray for God to close doors. You need to pray for everything. And, and that's how to get the ball rolling is through prayer. Many times your confidence is built up in prayer. To step out and do these things. Once you pray that word long enough, it becomes almost automatic to you if you believe what you're saying. So this goes beyond the memorized list of who we are in Christ. This has to do with changing your view of yourself and having that view confirmed and validated. There's got to be some proof somewhere of your of who you are, your identity. You know, people will will come and say, well, I know I'm called to preach. I know I'm called to a ministry. You know, if that never shows up in reality, hello, there's no call there. When God calls you, there's evidence. I remember when I was called to preach and, and God first told me that, I stood in my mirror and preached for like two hours just by inspiration. And it was the word. I had enough word packed up in me through five years of struggling to get my healing. I thought I was just going to get healed and, and be a normal Christian. But he kept me in that place for a reason. Everything happens to us orchestrated by God. There's no accidents. There's no time for accidents. There's no time for mistakes. There's no time for miscues. And so God begins to validate us and confirm us through experiences based on our understanding of who he is and our understanding of who we are. You got me? And I mean in him. I'm not talking about the old you. I'm talking about the new you. The one you see in the Bible. The one that gets corrected when you, you see those things and you say, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm sorry. And, and you help me to do better. Help me. That's, that's when he's talking to you. You got me? When you go in there, that's when he's talking to you. So it, And it goes beyond that. God's way is confirmed to us. Man, he confirms uh, himself to us. So he will lead us in ways that include experiences with him that confirm and reinforce who we are. He will. And these ways are, are orchestrated to help us to grow and be encouraged and gain confidence in the new creation person. It's not to lead us to defeat. 
It's so easy for us to sit in a corner and refuse to move because we fear it won't work out. And that's not why God leads us. He leads us in a way that is successful. He leads us in a way that is prosperous. And I'm not talking about prospering. I'm talking about prospering in wealth, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, things that cannot be taken away and cannot be uh, you know, robbed from you. The, the things that are you, the things that are impacted in you, that's the way he leads us. And so he'll confirm and reinforce who we are through these experiences just like he led Israel and they had a chance to learn who he was he leads us the same way we don't automatically know who God is even though we have a very glorious very glorious encounters with God you know your your born again experience boy that was a glorious encounter when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit glorious encounters when we have worship where where we hit the heights in God those are glorious encounters all of those things are wonderful but they're merely encounters they have to be taken and and incorporated into our spirit being so that we understand uh who God is and and what we do uh we were when we were uh uh, leaving splitting up last night and Mr. Gary mentioned the incident where he rebuked the devil you know <laughs> and I said and I bet that was the last time you did it right <laughs> and he confessed yes now let me tell you and I told him I said no, this is what we should do with the experiences we need to go within and search the mind of the spirit for understanding and validation in those experiences and see what oftentimes we'll do in experiences is we shut the door on the experience and just guess at what it means or we let it fade away as something that just happened when it's really not that many times God is building what we want to call our ministry through these experiences because he did it with me he does it with everybody you get these encounters and the Holy Spirit prompts you to yield to him but you can yield to him you can learn how to do a lot of things and not really understand how it's happening religions that way and I think the more religious we are in our thinking the more we just take experiences as experiences without getting understanding of what it means who he is you'll learn a lot about God through the way he uses you in these types of experiences what he'll have you say and what he'll have you do with people and you gain and you learn I've had that conversation with many people over the years you know they'll say well you know I, I was my brother was really sick and, and some Something came over him and I just took authority over it and cast it out and I said yeah I bet you haven't done it since well no I really haven't you know and so they most people take this as a one-time experience in in what we need to do is go to God and get understanding see that's the the diligent seeker goes back from the experience and gets understanding the casual person or the person who doesn't understand that God to that degree. See, God wants to to reveal things to you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to know. He wants you to understand. And if we just take experiences as nothing more than experiences and not get understanding, then we miss the whole point of the experience. 
And so we, we miss a lot because we don't understand that we can go to God and get more learning or it takes more learning. We just think, and then some people will assume they have a ministry based on a one time casting out of a devil or one time somebody got healed when I prayed with them. And, and they're, instead of being a believer's ministry that continues over and over and over again, it gets to be one time experiences that we don't know where they fit in our, or we think, like Brother Copeland used to call them, faith accidents. We have nothing, but we're just a, a colliding vehicle in the kingdom. We just run from one faith accident every ten years or so to another. And he wants to build ministry in all believers. So if 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 we don't take these as learning opportunities, I think they're not experiences; they're learning opportunities. If you go to God, go to the Word, go within, go to the leaders that He has over you. If He directs you that way to get under. Standing. Very often you you can ask somebody who's in authority and they'll tell you right away. Or you can be sitting in the service and the service will go into that situation and you get your understanding. It's so easy to get understanding from God. And so we, we have to understand that he is teaching us continually as servants. We have to be equipped. We've got to have knowledge. We've got to have understanding. We've got to be validated in all these ways. So he's leading us like he led Israel and gave us gave them a chance to learn. If we shrink back in fear, we'll never realize who we are. The confirmation of who we are to him, our importance of him will never come to us. Fear is something God does not tolerate in his children. He'll bring that to you first day. I remember when I was was uh, uh I had a lot of fears when I was uh, first say because I came to the Lord because I needed healing. I'd had a nervous breakdown and I was very depressed. I was phobic. I didn't want to go out of the house. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust other people. I turned into a recluse. But, you know, the only thing I could do was go to the doctor and get some pills and go home. And it was a very, very sad life. And so I remember uh, cert- uh, seeking God for comfort, seeking him for answers, uh, all of those things. And I remember the things that I was afraid of. I thought I should have some, some uh, you know, I should get like a pass on it. You know, like a, uh, you know, like God would feel sorry for me, and you know, I, well, I'm scared to do that, and I, I don't, you know, and He brought it right to me. You know, it's like scared. Really, I'm bringing it to you. That's the way he does all his children with fear. And see, what what we do in society is that usually that's the dad's role. That's that's thought of as being fatherly behavior is to to make your children confront their fears and overcome them. It's not. It's not. Oh, oh, poor you, and this thing is going to overtake you and beat you up, and you poor thing, you're just going to get worse for facing your fear. When God exposes it, it's to show you that he is with you now and give you the confidence to overcome and not have a life wasted because of fear. Suppose I'd stayed there. And been housebound now, scared to get out. I'd be an old woman somewhere, no, it would have to pay somebody to come take me to, you know, it's just about now. <laughs> Miss Daisy. Daisy, get in your car, I ain't getting out till I get where I'm going. 
You know what I'm saying? It'd be one of them situations. But God, and I thank God he forced me early because once fear gets to be your friend, then it takes longer to blast you out of that thing. Listen, I've, I've been to support groups. Don't don't get it twisted. Now, I've been had therapy on both sides of the aisle, you know, on the spiritual with God. And <laughs> sometimes that natural stuff works. Huh? We had a, um, I remember when I worked in the mental hospital, we had a patient that didn't want to get out of bed. And so one day her doctor said to take the mattresses off the bed. And so she would always, you know, whoever was her nurse, she was so sweet. She was uh, from a very wealthy family. And she would always get her little hair. She was up in age now. She's in like her 60s, nice gray hair. She always had little waves in it. And Are you my nurse? <laughs> you say, well, you wait a minute. Now, we in the nut house. Why are you so excited about the fact that I'm your nurse, you know? But she was very uh, gracious and cunning, you know, after a while people have been sick like that for a long, devils help them a lot. And so she'd lure you to get, take her to my, well, I just want to go down to my room. I know I'm supposed to stay out here for half the day, but I'm so tired. <laughs> you know, she'd get in there. And you know, that queen would lay on them bed springs if you let her get in that room. So you couldn't even let her get close to her room anymore. But you could kind of feel yourself after a while getting sucked in by that whole story. And I say that to say this, that these devils, that immobilize us and cause us to waste our life, waste our talents, waste our abilities are very, very powerful to lure you into a false sense of comfort, a sense of impotence. I can't do any better. I'm doing the best I can. They'll even use, they'll use subtle tactics and then they'll get uh, uh, angry and aggressive toward people who try to break them out of it. And so God early on broke me out of the fear thing. Because I've been to enough support groups and I saw what 20 years of giving in to fear did to people. And they wasted their lives. They, that whole household revolved around them and their fears. The children couldn't go anywhere. They didn't have a normal life. The dad was an alcoholic. Everybody had this this devil of fear began had the power to run the lives of every and ruin the lives of everybody there. There was no decent relationship there. And so I I saw what God was saying to me and I understood what he was saying to me. And I would sometimes put off confronting fears until I looked over in the book of Revelation. And I saw he lumped in the fearful with the adulterers, the whoremongers. They all got thrown into the lake of fire. You understand what I'm saying? Because when you fear something other than God, that's a wicked and an evil heart inside of you. And that has to be dealt with. And so God made me face the fears. He took me right to what I was afraid of. And I quit bragging about how scared I was of everything. I started to get a conviction about that and I started to feel oh my I can't do that that's not pleasing to God you see the simple mindedness that we can have sometimes that will pay big dividends for us don't ever get so sophisticated you got me that you can't admit your error and ask God to help you correct it so our concept of God it will be a more pagan concept because of fear see the, the pagans think that they serve an angry God 
that they have to appease in some way. Or if you don't feel you can appease him, you cut him out of things. You got me? You don't go to him. You don't trust him. You don't seek the word. You don't do any of those things. So at least if we can judge God to be trustworthy, we will allow our faith to be mixed with his word and take him at his word. See, when 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 uh, we can we can get one up on Abraham's faith, really, because they judge God to be faithful based on their experience with him. So you see, people are faithful because they did this, that was good. They did that, that was good. That takes a long time. If you can take God at his word, you can see in his word that he's trustworthy. He's worthy to put your trust in. He created you. He made you. Look at how he's taking care of these people all the way down the line. In Abraham's day, they were still writing the Bible. Our day, we have it all here before us. You can sit here and read what God did with people. If you can see yourself in their place, you can identify the right way. You can judge him trustworthy and say, you know what? I just trust God. I I don't have anybody else out here. Sometimes we trust him by default. Because we got nobody else that we can put in that place that would do. We got to take a chance on that. You understand? You know, those phrases, try God. (laughs) You're not trying him. You're putting your confidence in him, I hope. And so when you judge him trustworthy, then you allow him, you allow yourself to mix faith with his word. And that's a big step in getting out there. You got to look at what you read about God and say, you know what, I'm set on that I'm going to believe that and then the next thing God does is he gives you opportunity to prove you believe it Amen. And this is where you really overcome fear. You've got to step out there and show God that you believe what, what you're saying you believe about him. No stepping out, no faith. He doesn't believe you You trust him if you just sit up and say you trust him all. You've got to be a doer as well as a talker. If you're just a talker, you're deceiving yourself. And you've got to do more than just a one-time stepping out. You've got to trust him every day with everything. It's not about you choosing what you want to trust him with. We trust him with the real biggies and then go our merry way with everything else. And that's not trust. You have to mix that word with faith and judge him trustworthy. So if we do that, we will constantly seek to put faith in him. You have to do this on purpose. You have to do it diligently. And you have to do it just taking him at his literal word. So these three servants are examples of people with different levels of trust and experience in God. They're different levels. And so the one with the the, uh, most talents trusted him the most, of course. The one with the least, we'll talk about him. So (laughs) there's a lot to to understand about that because that's where most of us come from. And and so we want to get to where we can trust him with everything because that's the best life. That's the highest life. Where we don't withhold anything from God, we're not, we're not trusting Him up here, and everything else is too hard. You know, I feel sorry. Oh, it's too hard. I just can't do that. I, I can't do that like you do that. You know, we try to flatter other people that we're scared of. We try to buy them off because we think they'll they'll confront us too much or compel too much out of us. That kind of thing. And so we we just you know, oh, I can't do that like you do. You know, I'm not you and you know, that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> these three servants are examples of people 
with different levels of trust and experience with God. The, the guy with the most talents had the most experience with him because he had done more things. He had earned those talents through his obedience. You got me? They were bestowed upon his life. And so they, they're examples of people with different levels of trust and experience. Also, how faithful are we to an invisible God who is our master? Very often we're more faithful with people we can see. Because there's a strong element of man pleasing in us. We forget there's a God out there. And we want to, you know, if God's used somebody to bless our life, sometimes we transfer our trust to a person and become dependent upon them. That's why God lets people drop us. You know, like a hot potato. (laughs) Right in the middle of everything. (laughs) To wake us up out of our slumber of, of man trusting and man pleasing. So, the Master God has given us His goods. These are gifts from God. Everything that we have belongs to God. You don't get anything on your own. I don't care if your parents left you all kinds of valuable things. God's hand moved to get it into your hands. And so, everything we have belongs to Him. He starts us out with the measure of faith. We have within us dormant gifts, talents, and abilities. And when I say dormant, I mean that. They are hidden from your view. You don't know what's in you until you allow God to be in charge of it. And so that's the situation these these servants are in. First issue is is things that, that we need to understand in order to be faithful servants. Number one, do you value what God has placed in you and blessed your life with? Many times, familiarity will breed a certain uh, level of comfort, comfort with things, taking them for granted, and after a while we begin to resent certain things. Or if familiarity, they say, breeds contempt. I won't go that far. But oftentimes, the thing that God uh, has put in our lives as a blessing and as a talent, as a gift, as something valuable, uh, will be taken lightly by us. And I think sometimes it's because we don't develop it enough to find out its true value and its true worth. Certain things we don't employ enough. Um, and, And we have to be careful what feeds into our understanding of what's valuable. Sometimes it's what other people around us value. And then we start comparing what we have with what the general consensus is about what's valuable and we start to see it as being less valuable simply because of the atmosphere that we're in in the in this the account of of this same parable in the book of luke said that when the master left the people of that city said they didn't want him to come back anymore so there was a negative view of the master in that city where they lived and so we have to be careful of the atmosphere that we surround ourselves with when we're trying to work for God 
you have to keep yourself in the company of people of like precious faith. You start going around people who don't want that kind of thing happening here and don't appreciate that kind of ministry and don't appreciate that level of word and don't appreciate that believers are supposed to work for God and all that kind of stuff. They don't appreciate those things. That will tear down your confidence in God. It will tear you down your concept of God. It will feed in to a carnal, pagan, and negative concept of who God is. And pretty soon your trust level of God will start to diminish, diminish, diminish. You don't want to do what he's called you to do anymore. You don't like your job for God. You don't like what the ministry makes you do. You know, you hear all that stuff. Over the years I've heard it all. They make you do this. They make you do that. All of that. When you start getting to that where it's a gun in your back to do anything, then your concept of things is screwed up. Because God's always the same. He's always the same. If he blessed you and he's given you good things in your life, then he's work, work, worth working for. You know, you, you just you gotta you can't twist it up like that. You know, it's like I I, I hear you know women will say things like, "Oh, I want to get married, but my husband has got to see the butt my husband has got to have." That don't come from God. It doesn't come from God. Because when you marry somebody, you agree to serve that person. Just serve. You don't put demands on people. Now there's certain things you look for because you know the type of life God has promised you. You got me? But you don't put demands on people. They've got to have this and they've got to have that. You know, that indicates a lack of trust in God. God knows what he has planned for you. And so when we when we make these kinds of stipulations, it's because there's something a little wrong somewhere in the way we view things, view people, and view our life with God. Sometimes we're demanding because we feel so emotionally and spiritually bankrupt on the inside. You know, we, we see that person as providing a need and we don't see ourselves ever giving and serving, you know, and sowing into that life so that we can reap something out of it. See, you're a thief if you just want to get all the time and you don't see yourself as giving anything, you know, to receive it. And, and, and you know, it makes a difference. See, I've lived long enough to see this validated. You know, and I've observed the lives of other people and see it validated. You know, if you have a life where you or you serve and you give, you get provided for. You don't serve and you don't give, you don't get provided for. I've seen Christian women in the church that, you know, have been married and divorced several times. And, and at the end of life, they don't have much. You know, and, and it's because of that continual serving you know continual serving well god won't uh he'll take care of you he won't leave you high and dry this won't happen won't happen it won't happen it's worth it to serve god it's worth it to serve humanity and not hold back you got me you can't hold back in a marriage you gotta do what what god tells you to do when you get sick of doing it when you get tired of doing it and then you do it some more and you get sick of some more. And when you like doing it, that's about when you're on the right road. Tell them, Mr. Gary, we grow up time, isn't it? Hmm? It's time to grow up. This isn't about what tickles our flesh. It's about what pleases the Father. 
and that's the way you're only going to trust God if your heart is to please Him. Mm-hmm. So if you value what God's placed in you, and and you understand that that gift is invested in the earth to work in the earth, you're here to serve the people of the earth. You're here to serve God in the earth. We wonder sometimes uh, about value. Are you ever going to think what God's placed in you is good enough? Is it ever going to be good enough? Is it ever enough what he gives you? Do you ever have enough things, possessions, money, houses, lands? Are you pleased with how God has treated you in your life? If you think you've gotten the short end of the deal, uh, by God you won't trust him. You know, you just will will be a, a person who abides in a resentment and you'll think everything's wrong. You know, I see people who have continually mismanaged their finances. And then when they have to file bankruptcy or something, then they're mad at God, mad at everybody because of their own. See, if you're never able to embrace responsibility for your mistakes and ask God to help you correct them. It's not enough to say I'm sorry and keep doing the same thing wrong. A repentant person sees it as wrong before God and they say, God, I want your way. I want to do it right and I want you to help me. This is how we live. This is the Christian life. I want you to help me do it right. This is how we live, folks. It's not just about grace, grace, grace and Living above everybody else, so you think. It's about humbling yourself to a holy God. Mistakes and all. I want you to help me do it right, God. I want you to help me live right. I want to do everything pleasing to you. I want to get credit for this life. It's hard enough, but getting through here just barely. I don't want that. I want you to help me do things right. And that's where grace comes in. It's the ability to do things right, to live right, to talk to people right, to love them in your heart right, to not complain about serving people, to do it right. Amen. Huh? It's what you're graced to do. You're not graced to just keep doing it wrong all the time. And he doesn't care. He cares. He cares. You should care. We should all care. So, God shows fairness. In the way that he distributes gifts. We see that. I mean, he's not an unfair God. He says in verse 15, to one he gave five, the other two, the other one, every man according to his ability. So you're not over your head in what God requires from you. You got me? He starts you at your own ability. And immediately he took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents got busy working for God. That's what that means is when he says he went and traded. That word traded really is the word for work. It starts with ergo, E-R-G-O, which is Greek. We, we know the ergonomics that we talk about these days. It's work related. Okay, So he went to work. He put that, that talent to work for him. And in this parable, the talent, of course, is money. But it's anything that can be equal to or more important than money. 
What are you what are you gifting is? Your gift can turn into money for you if you're employed by it, etc., etc. So he went to work and labor, and that's what God wants to see. He wants to see our faith put to work. He wants to see us stepping out, doing what it is that he told us to do. And so he gives us based on what we have shown him we're capable of doing. He does that with everybody. I always think about people who get frustrated because they think uh, they're sitting on the shelf too long and nobody recognizes their gift and all this nonsense. And this is why it's nonsense. Because it's God that opens the doors for you. It's God that sees what you do with what he gives you. And and oftentimes what we see as most small and insignificant in our eyes is the one thing that God really, really wants us to work in and labor in. He wants us to appreciate everything that he's given us. So it's based on what we do with what we are given. So this is consistent with God's kingdom standards then. says when he gives us gifts, he leaves us to decide how to employ the riches he has given us to use and not to hide them. They are for us to use and use for him. So if he opens up a door for us to uh, make uh, peanut butter sandwiches then that's what he wants done he wants some sandwiches made uh, I can remember uh, when when I had gotten a prophecy that, that God was going to uh, use me in ministry and, and you know I'd been told some things and gotten some scriptures and I was meditating on those things and, and I was just so excited and I just want to do anything for God you know and I'm still that way a lot you know I, I can't do physically a lot of stuff I would like to do but I won't do it my my inner little man is looking at myself doing these things, you know, whether my outer body can do them or not. My inner little man is right on in there. And so I, I remember one girl said that she said, well, um, if anybody wants to go with me over to a, a center where, uh, um, you know, it's a shelter for people, she said, and, and I understand if you don't want to go, my hand shot up. And she said, well, all we do is make a bunch of sandwiches and, and fold them, you know, fold up the bags and put them in there and all that kind of stuff. And so I was on my way to make sandwiches. And on my way there, the Lord said, well, well, they've got enough people over there. He just spoke to me. He said, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go here. And I went into a clinic where it was say it said women's health clinic and I went in there and met a woman that I observed her work for about a day with counseling women who said they wanted abortions and 90% of them almost received Christ when she went in there I mean that place was so anointed it was like and the Lord told me he said this is the kind of atmosphere I want you to work in and I will create for you to do the work that I've called you to do I was willing to make peanut butter sandwiches, folks, but I never got to make the sandwiches. And it bugged me a little bit afterwards. And when I talked to the lady, she said, oh, I'm glad you didn't come. We had so many people. She said, after I made that announcement at the Bible study, all those ladies showed up. She said, it, you know, it, it was fine. It was fine. Don't worry about it. You know, that kind of thing. And so God will... According to your ability, folks, and I say that to say you're not overqualified for the job you're now doing for God. Can I get an amen somewhere? You see, people think that I'm supposed to be doing more and I'm supposed to be doing this and I can be, when am I going <laughs> to... 
That's the old self still hanging on trying to run your new life. Old things must be passed away. You gotta let that thing that craves for a more uh, uh, bare spotlight. You gotta let him die. You got me. You gotta let that thing just die its own death, and uh, you know, just ignore it. It'll die on its own, or you can slaughter it one day. I don't care what you do, but you've got to let that die. You're not overqualified for what God has you doing in your life right now. Don't ever let the enemy get you restless about uh, moving up or blowing up or whatever. <clears throat> I see some people that that create fictitious lives for themselves based on having that craving for vainglory, you know, for, for things that really belong to God. You, you can't have that. Your flesh will want it, but you can't let him have it. And so God has given us these things based on our ability. These are kingdom standards. To him that has, he will receive more if he's faithful with it. To him who has not, it'll be taken away from him, even what he does have, because he's not competent. He's not capable. He's not ready. You got me? And so God has given us these gifts and abilities to use, not to hide from him so that he can't get his hands on them. You got me? There's something wrong with people who won't trust God with themselves. You receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and now you want to keep yourself for yourself after you've come to the Lord. And that's just not right. So, They will receive an even amount as they have been given. When God God begins to um, increase us, he starts out with what we have and then he gives us more. Yeah, in, in equal measure, but it's more valuable what he gives us. It's kind of amazing because if you look at what he gave these gentlemen, it was way beyond what any of them thought so he says here when he that received five talents within traders is verse 16 got the same made them other five talents likewise he that it has received two gained two he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid it hid the lord's money from him hid god's talents from him hid the 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 abilities that god had given him from god and and that's typical people when they they know God needs them to do something we start to think of excuses for why we can't do it you know when we don't trust God see this has to do with not trusting God it's not so much to do with uh you know people don't love me and they you know they they reject you when you go there this has to do with trusting God folks it really does and so you see it very clearly here uh your concept of God is is off somewhere if you can't keep your word to use your talents where God has assigned them to be used. So he says here, after a long time, verse 19, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. So there will be an accounting day for how you use what God gave you. What did you do with it? And how do you measure up? What did he assign you to do? What did he tell you to do? Did you do that? Were you faithful in it? Did you do it with a good spirit? Did you try to hide from work? Did you try to, you know what I'm saying. And so he says here, uh, verse 20, he came back to reckon with them. 
And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five, saying, Lord, you delivered me five. Behold, I've gained five. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. God doesn't require much. Be something different if the guy with five brought back fifty. And God said, That's not enough. It's not right. He he lets you work at your ability. What's your ability in God? He 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 evaluates you. Did you do it to the best of your ability? Did you do the best you could? I didn't expect you to do anything more than the best you could. And if the best you could, by trusting me, meant you just doubled it, that's fine. That's well done. He's not expecting you to move mountains or to get out and start something great and grand overnight. He just says... Go out and do according to your ability. And that's what this man did. So he got a well done. He said, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And in in the, the account in Luke, it said he gave him rulership over five cities. So he went from just using basic talents. Now he's a governor and a leader over cities. He's a manager over cities, folks. From just mere talents, now he's got a, a government position with people. Other, You look at Joseph. Everybody wants from the pit to the palace. Do you want to stay in the pit, though? You got me? Do you want to stay in an uncomfortable and an undesirable place until God tells you, use your talents down in the prison, use them in the hole, use them wherever I tell you to use them? Are you willing to do that until I elevate you? It's so easy to get your own trampoline, you know, to jump on and spring yourself forward into what you think are great things, you know. I see people all the time being frustrated, you know, and God's promised me this, that, and the other, and all I see is, you know, well, you're seeing something. I mean, there's evidence of gifts working there, but are you willing to stay at that level that you consider to be small and distasteful long enough to wait for God to catapult you to the next? See, rulership over five cities, they probably never thought they'd get that far. It'll blow your mind. Joseph never thought that he would be prime minister of Egypt. Never in a million years. All he wanted was out of jail. See, he wants out, God wants up. God will leave you where you are till it's time for you to move up, Weezy. It's not always, you understand me? You you can't judge the time and the season. You'll get frustrated there, but don't stay frustrated. Try to get happy where you are because it will it will work out to your advantage if you do that. And so he says the one who receives five, you got a well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two came and said, Lord, you gave me two. I gave you two. You got me? It's, it's I'm, My ability allowed me to double what you'd invested in me. See, just do to your, don't look at other people and how they blow up and all this stuff and think you got to do that to please God. Do it according to your own ability. You know what your ability is. Just get out there and work for God. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over I'll make you ruler over many. From few to many. Not from few to something in between, but from few to many. This is a catapult. This is a breakthrough. This is coming out of that dormant stage into a stage where you can fly. 
you know, butterflies don't really just crawl around. They come out with full wings. You got me? And so that's God's way to leave you dormant, working at the level you're able to accomplish at, and then he begins to catapult you out into more things. Verse 24, he which had received one talent and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. Here we go with the dumb stuff. Number one, his concept of God is 100% wrong. 100% wrong. It's more, God's not like that. He's not like that. He doesn't reap where he doesn't sow. That's where, where that's what this guy says. God sows and then reaps. That's why he requires that from us. He doesn't require anything from us that he doesn't do himself. And so he says, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you hadn't strown, and I was afraid. And <laughs> went and hid the talent from you. You got me? It reminds me so much of people in the music industry. They start out in the church. And when they're little, that, you know, you know how the grown-ups will get the children's choir out. And they can't sing. And the choir director they assign to them is not the best. But they take them and the kids work and they just applaud and encourage them. And that catches on with somebody. And they continue to develop that gift and develop that gift. And when they think that gift's perfected, they hide it from God and go and display it to the world. What you hide from God, you are often displaying some someplace else. And they'll commonly say, church people, they're cheap. They don't pay you. They don't pay you what you're worth. They don't pay you for doing this. They don't pay you. And they'll go and they feel that's justification to go and, and merchandise that gift, take it right out of the house of God when that gift belongs to God all the time, folks. It's never a time that gift does not belong to God. And they'll take out and get beaten up by the world, they get broker out in the world. I always notice this that when the world doesn't treat them right, where do you think they show up at? I always want to run back to the church. And get the church to help them, get the church to pay their bills, get the church to pray for their wayward children or whatever they need. But they always want to run back to God's people and keep running back out into the world again. See, this is typical of that. When you have those gifts and you want to hide them from God because you think that he's a hard taskmaster. God not going to pay you. Church people don't pay you what, what you're really worth. You're worth all this, that, and the other. People in the world will take your gift and make you work like a dog. And when you get on drugs, you know, it's, well, this is one of them church people. I knew they was going to act up like this, you know. Send you right on back. Whatever God's invested in you belongs to him. And you have to really make sure that you accept that and you believe that and you keep everything consecrated to the Lord. You can't get out and do what you want to do with it. And so he, this servant, though, has a, an improper concept of God. And that's what we started out with at the beginning. If you're going to trust God, your concept of God has to be right. can't be based on a father that was never there for you. Or a mother that, that, you know, left you with strangers to take care of all your life. It has to be tied into God and his word. And it has to be uh, the concept of the new you involved. You're a new creature. 
Everything's new. You have a new father. It's God. You have new rules to live by. It's called the Bible. You have new standards to live by. They're high moral standards. They're not low moral standards. And you have a new lifestyle. And this life belongs to God. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It belongs to God, not yours. You were bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. And we should take comfort in that. Because that means that we can expect God to do any and everything for us. We can be totally cared for, totally loved, totally respected, totally moved forward, totally prosperous, totally healed, everything. Totally. Because we've given 100% to him and we totally trust him. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for understanding Thank you, Lord, that our concept of you must be according to your word. That's so important. Concept of ourselves must be according to your glorious riches and and according to what you've done for us. Not the old model, but the new model. It's got to be there, Lord. It has got to be there. And we thank you for it. We bless you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. So if anybody needs prayer.